what other uh, crazy, bizarre animal hybrid superheroes would you love to see in the Marvel universe or in any superhero universe, I guess, in this universe? Oh, um, that I would play or that I can just watch and enjoy? Either, really. I mean, this is a very, you know, open question. Well, I did think if we were going insects, a dung beetle would be quite fun. Mm-hmm. Because they are actually, I was looking at the strongest animals in the world, depending on whatever, and mm-hmm. ants are third, and dung beetles are number one, and there's rhinon- rhin- rhinonorous- rhinoceros beetles at number two. Rhinoceros. to say, I can't believe it. I've never said it aloud, baby. Um, and I thought you could be like, they're cleaning the shit off the streets. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's and like it- a political tagline, isn't it? Yeah, and they could be like, must dung Sally. <laughs> and I think that would be a fun superhero because you, yeah, they could just—they've got lots of little skills. They're very strong. They can roll people into balls and push them like Indiana Jones at them. And and if they have a supervillain who's really prissy, they'll see a dung beetle and be like, "Ew, I'm not fighting it. I give up." And then yeah. the dung beetle will just win. That's <laughs> very true. I do. When I said it's a political tagline, I do suddenly love the idea that there's a dung beetle in a suit at like a political debate. Being like, we're going to clean the shit off the streets. And that's like on the side of a bus. Three million to the street cleaning efforts. And they'll, they'll actually stand true to that promise. <laughs> I was, uh, so in terms of insects, um, I guess a, a cockroach would be good because they, mm. they're known for just their survival instincts. The whole like, if you cut one in half, it still sort of survives in some way. I don't know if that's completely true, but I think it depends on where you cut it, obviously. But um same as worms right people always say that about worms and I don't feel like if you cut a worm in the mm. wrong place like right by its head then it would live but I don't know yeah I did the cockroaches yeah I did they're, they're just survivors and they seem to they're just known for like the ones that will live through you know a nuclear holocaust or something you know um or speaking of um and like the strongest animals the flea I, I think I remember reading about how if we could jump as high as a flea could in in proportion to our body size, we'd be able to basically jump over the Empire State Building. That would be really useful if someone I didn't want to talk to was coming towards me because I would just jump away. <laughs> no, boing! Maybe, oh, she's gone. You know, at the Science Museum does this thing, I don't know if it's meant to be for adults, but my friend did it for her birthday, where you can dress up as a cockroach and go on a tour of the museum as if you're a cockroach. There's a market for that. Apparently so. Uh, it was it was a little group of us for her birthday, and then a, a few randoms, mainly children. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. It was quite fun though, because I mean, I wanted more. I wanted them to lean into it more. Like humans are coming, scuttle and stuff like that. But you had like these little shells on your back and these little little helmets on, and you would. That's you actually know. for kids. That's a bit cute, I must say. It was. It would have been cute if we were smaller, but this was only like two or three years. You ago. know, the Natural History Museum does ones where um, it's for s- school trips, where they give the kids like explorer jackets and explorer hats, and give oh. them like little things to find. That is very cute. I mean, I feel like there probably would be a market for adults to do that as well. <laughs> oh yeah, people with niche fetishes plus stag and hen parties, I guess. Yeah. Well, this was just her birthday. She just really wanted to do this little roach party. And it was quite fun. I learned a lot about them and they are very um, resourceful little critters. So there you go. There you go. If you learn stuff, it doesn't matter what you dress does, does it? Exactly. I think they're the only, they're one of the few creatures that I think would survive a direct nuclear attack vibe. That's, that's the essence that I get from them. The other animal I was thinking of, have you ever heard of an eye eye? Mm-mm. so they're like they're a type of lemur that live in madagascar but they are actually super cool they have um they, they have really sharp teeth so when they what they do is they go up to a tree and they knock on it with their hand and if they hear like little like grubs and insects that they want to eat they gnaw a hole with their teeth and then their middle finger is much 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 longer than the rest of their hand so they then stick the middle finger into the hole and use it to scrape them out with the, like it's a sort of like sharp scoop like uh shape and then eat them and i think that would be like a really weird superhero but one that is kind of symbolic of how they very sort of insidiously managed to scrape out the villainousness that's underneath without it being like a big explosion it's more it would be more like a like investigatory and mm. you know uh it, it, it more sort of dialogue heavy or something 
but then yeah. the, uh, you see a picture of an eye eye and they're quite ugly creatures so you're a bit like um, um. <laughs> they're not that glamorous really <laughs> that's the thing i feel like most of the animals they use are quite glamorous in the superhero world you know there's a place near chernobyl where all of the insects have grown really big because of the radiation shut up really yeah <gasps> apparently the mosquitoes are really big there wouldn't that be awful a mosquito would be a good super villain i'm thinking of the, that film the mist now yes oh yeah that is it <laughs> the book's really good too but the film is horrible because the ending is so much worse than the book traumatizing yeah oh shit well i'll stay away from uh, chernobyl in that case yeah, <laughs> not that i was thinking of going there but some people are weird and they like the old disaster porn travel world there are there's tours of it yeah yeah i mean it's fascinating but i'm i'm not in a rush to go there after watching the series no i've seen enough that was enough <laughs> the trauma the, the trauma is, is real <laughs> Hello, and welcome to The Marvel Virgin, a podcast all about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. My name is Paul, and I'm a Marvel Virgin. And my name is Kaylee, and I'm a Marvel whore. For each episode, Paul is watching a Marvel movie or TV series for the very first time, and with my help, we'll be delving into the good and not-so-good aspects of the MCU, and navigating the secrets and intricacies of this big and complex universe. If you'd like to send in any questions, comments, factoids, or even if you'd like to correct anything we've said, after all, we're not perfect, then you can tweet us at the Marvel Virgin. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy the show. I mean, I, I, um, I did actually think ants were a very good choice, which is why... And, ants it. are a good choice. Um, and I, you know what? I, I went into this, having been... Uh, having had just super the only superhero that I've had as the image of superhero really is Spider-Man so I went into this assuming that he was like a man who gets bitten by radioactive ants and then becomes like half man half ants or something so I was I was talking to my friend Tony who listens hi Tony and we um I said to him well I guess Ant-Man is kind of like um you know it's what it says on the tin he's a man who's an ant and Tony was like no he isn't I went Oh, <laughs> I what would, that, what would that look like to you? <laughs> I thought he was just a really tiny man who was like as strong as an ant. Oh, I mean, but that's, that is basically what it is. But I thought he was like permanently tiny. That would be like a borrower movie. I was. Yeah, I was thinking like the borrowers, but like strong. And he doesn't have names like. Picky Pocky or whatever they call it. Harrietty. that's it. <laughs> I was hoping that you would not remember because I said this is one of my top five superhero movies and you only remembered one. And I was like, I hope he doesn't remember because last time it meant that his expectations were too high. I actually, I, after watching it, I thought, yeah, I think this is one that you really like. And I'll tell you now, it's displacing my top, my third. It's become yes. my third favourite. I loved Ant-Man. I thought it was so yeah. I'm so glad because I was like, I was literally just talking to Chris before I logged on to do this. And I was like, if he doesn't like it, I don't think I can do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but not dramatic do. though. No, not I never dramatic. But no, you do like it. And that is the main thing. So that's that podcast. I, I loved I loved the kind of the, the fact that it was a bit different to yeah. it was a real breath of fresh air. It wasn't all kind of portentous and um and grand it was kind of like quirky and a bit weird sometimes um it really had a sense of humor it knew that the idea of like a tiny two tiny men fighting each other like at the big climax where they're fighting on a thomas the tank engine <laughs> it had but it, they managed to um make it exciting but make it funny at the same time i think they had that balance all the way through just absolutely pitch perfect yeah, I thought because I was like, oh no, he's going to get hit by a train. But that train's some of the tank engine. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's very good because it makes it feel very cinematic. Like, and then it would cut away. Like the the bit where the briefcase just falls out the helicopter. It's like, oh, and then you go inside the suitcase. It says it's like, vroom, 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 and then you go back out. It's just like falling through the air. Just the bit like in it. the suitcase. Yes, I was. I thought that was so inventive. The yeah. bit in the suitcase. I thought they were really inventive with the idea of them being tiny. I was expecting some kind of honey, I shrunk the kids bullshit, but it was it was really good. <laughs> it was. The whole, and it's got a great female character in it as well, mm -hmm. in Hope Van Dyne. So I feel like it's just a it ticks all of my little 
all of my perfect boxes for a good movie. And also the fact that it's a heist movie. It's not yeah. a superhero movie in the conventional sense. It's a heist. It's like Ocean's Eleven, but with tiny superheroes. And I love a heist movie. You yeah. know what, also, when I was watching it the second time, well, well I'm say second time around. Like the I tenth time. Really, I can't how many times I've seen it, but um, <laughs> when I watched it this time around, I thought, have you read Going Postal by Terry Pratchett? No, I haven't got that far in the series. I kind of, every six months or so, I go back and read the next one. I'm only as far as Thief of Time, I think. There's a similar setup to that in that it's a, it's Lord Veterinary provides a criminal with a new path, like mm. a redemption path. Mm-hmm. And he's a very charismatic criminal, moist von Mitvig. And I feel like Paul Rudd's charisma, like I've always had a, I've always had a little thing for Paul Rudd, but in this movie, it's like, I really like Paul Rudd, especially mm. now. Um, but I, he doesn't even need the topless shot for me to think that he's an attractive man. I think that was them being like, well, you know, Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth have all done it. So, you know, we've got to put it in. I Yeah, I agree. I think that was totally unnecessary. I think he was... Because like, let's face it, everyone has a thing for Paul Rudd. How can you not? The How man can you is not? not anti ages I don't know what he's doing. But exactly. He's... Well, it's like we said last time, it's the portrait in his attic. The portrait in his attic, you go in, it's like covered in blood and pustules and shit. But, <laughs> and um, also, like, I liked your other theory where it's like the kind thoughts radiate out of them because he seems like a nice person. The more Roald Dahl theory as opposed <laughs> yeah. to the wild one, yeah. <laughs> he seems like a nice guy. And he helped write a lot of it. And I don't know if I told you this, but I went to screenings for Ant-Man and the Ant-Man sequel mm-hmm. and both times Paul Rudd turned up and did like a little hey to the audience and both times I just was like caught off guard and annoyingly really swoony about it and I was really I know, just imagine you fainting I almost <laughs> did I was like oh my god it's Paul Rudd I was eating a tuna sandwich I can't remember why I had it with me but I was and I just dropped it into my lap like yeah I'm eating tuna and I'm so near him this is so embarrassing like he's gonna jump over and be like Kaylee you and me we should be together I just have a lot of warm feeling towards him. And I think because he's playing quite a, a Shades of Grey character, I guess, in the sense that he's a criminal, but you're still rooting for him. You root for him a lot harder than maybe you would for someone else in that role. Yeah, and I, I, that was the really endearing thing, I think, that he... But he's he's a criminal, but it's quickly established that he committed the crime to try and bring down a bad person. Like Robin Hood. Like Robin Hood. Yes, he is Robin Hood, yeah, but with yeah. ants. <laughs> But with little ants, yeah. tiny ants, yeah. And um, I like that he's like a divorced dad who can't yeah. see his child for you know because he's been in prison. The um, cutest child in the world. I oh my god, the child was. I, I wrote down. I love this child. So he's when so when cute. he gives her, I mean, he the ugly rabbit. I love yes, it. And she goes, "It's so ugly." I love it. <laughs> She's adorable, and I quite like that. Um, the stepdad they could make him like a proper like villain but he's like a nice guy who just wants to do right by his wife and his step and it's kind of yeah I at first I was like oh the stepdad's a douchebag how cliche but then it was established that he because he's a police officer he is going to be very suspicious of the the father who is a con basically yeah. isn't he he's always well you know he's an ex-felon but I, I think the ex-wife could have been characterized I feel like she could have been a bit more sympathetic because I'm kind of like I, I want like surely every, she knows that he did this crime for good reasons, even if it was a bit of a naff idea in the first place. Yeah. Because she, she was quite ruthless. I thought they could have made her a bit more sympathetic, but she's barely in it. So who cares? Even though it's Judy Greer. I know. I was like, Judy Greer's in this. I love mm. it. But um, maybe it was like, she felt like you, he'd chosen that path over her and her daughter. Mm. So there was resentment there maybe because of that. Yeah, possibly, possibly. And didn't get enough time to delve into it, but... <laughs> They got a plot to get on with, haven't they? Speaking of, do you want to go plot? Yeah, I mean, I was going to start with like his character because his character kind of mostly sort of starts the plot because it, it gives him a good motivation to end up involved in crime again because he he comes out of prison, he's like, fresh start, not going to mm. get into crime, going to work at Baskin Robbins or during my parole and <laughs> all that stuff. But then he can't afford the, the child support on other things to actually see his daughter so yeah. that's when he ends up back into crime so good commentary on the american prison system well yeah and it made um because i watched this with chris he doesn't normally watch the marvel films with me because i think i've told you he's not a fan but he mm. loves this one um and we were talking about how doug had talked about the prison system to us not that long ago and how it doesn't really allow for rehabilitation it becomes yeah. more like a punishment mm. and it 
it does make it really difficult for criminals to get back on their feet if they're not being given opportunities. Yeah, and because nice they have to, someone. they have to have a job and a place yeah. to stay and stuff. But usually, the job, the only job they can get, means they can't afford the place to stay and they can't afford to eat and stuff. So they get pushed back into crime in order to actually survive. And and yeah. they just think, well, I had a I had a roof over my head and three meals a day in prison. And yeah and like with um with scott lang he's saying i've got a master's in electrical engineering i'll be fine and even he can't get work because yeah. that's such a big blemish on your on your hiring record i guess they don't want to hire someone who's absolutely yeah so, yeah it was very interesting that and i i do love his friends that he does have yes the, so he has the three friends who are who are very very funny especially michael pena as the as is it luis luis, luis. Yeah, um he is he's hilarious and i love when he sort of explains how he knows something and it goes through like all these different characters who are all talking like he is but you you know that that's not what they said originally no. they're all he's just like and i was like blah, 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 and then they mouth the words to it i thought and i i mean i did have a a, a minor issue with the comic characters in that and maybe i'm reading too much into it and being a bit too woke here but they are the only characters who are either not white or not american yeah but i know um he said he based that character on that he a lot of them fed into their own characters and he based Mm. that character on a friend of his like the cadence and the way he talks and Mm. the way he explains and i love that it always starts his stories always start with like a very elegant scenario so it's like i was at a wine tasting it was mostly reds you know i hate reds but then they brought this fabulous rose and then this and, the, and, yeah, and the, the art and gallery it's like the art gallery where he's like i'm usually i'm a neo-cubism kind of guy but it was his rough coat to die for <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, I think it does add elements there in terms of diversity it's pretty good compared to other marvel movies i think so yeah i think but i think that also there was no real reason why say michael peña couldn't have been ant-man himself well no i think but I think, and I think it's it's um, obviously it's it's becoming a bit more representative. But like the comic characters are the non-American, well, non-white American characters, and I I think it's it's a step forward, but it's not quite there. Where actually you want to mix it up a little bit, because I think the joke that he's a criminal who's obviously he's obviously a guy who's not very well he comes across not very well educated, but actually he is very well educated, and I think that could work with anyone of any kind of ethnicity mm. if you have like if you if because it, it plays on the audience expectations doesn't it the joke is that the audience expects you to be a bit of an idiot but actually you're really not you're <laughs> yeah you've actually got these really sort of refined tastes that you wouldn't expect from someone like that and that's the joke isn't it and I think that would work with anyone so I think if they could have like swapped it around and had Paul Rudd in that role and him as the hero and that would have been a little bit more yeah well they will get there eventually and I guess in the way like I mean they are all playing criminals but if you look at it is a very unfair balance and there is a lot of unfair profiling in America with the police system. So it would make sense True. probably that they would be of different ethnicities and different backgrounds. Yeah. And it, at the end of the day, it didn't make me not like them. They, they were very, very likable. I, whenever they were on the screen, I was like, yeah, they're going to say something funny. I love the Russian guy who would just sort of come at chi- chime in with like a two line, a two word line. I love it when they, uh, they drive up and they see all the police and they're like, back it up, back it up, back it up. Back up, back yes. up. <laughs> so that's a great scene I love when that. um uh louise picks up paul rudd from the prison and he's like uh he's like oh my girl left me my mum died my dad got deported but i got this van <laughs> yeah. that is actually i didn't know if you'd seen it before the movie but that bit has been memed a lot because of 2020 so they keep uh, going, him going like there's more and like telling paul rudd all about all the stuff that's happened in 2020 while he's been in prison it works quite well louise, i agree i would like him as a superhero one day maybe he could evolve into a different one yeah maybe maybe i think so he's been in like everything michael pena he's like a really prolific actor so you know give yeah. him the role um scott ends up involved with them again because he needs money for child support or to see his child basically um and they know of a heist which involves breaking into a house and getting into a safe however this heist has been set up for them by dr pym which i love that name pym <laughs> yeah it's and good. dr dr pym has some uh, has uh, years ago invented this technology that can shrink people in a suit but he wanted to keep it secret because he's like if this gets into the wrong hands then bad things happen and we're like i'm like fair enough that's that does tend to happen, doesn't it? Doctor? It does. It really does. He's on the money there with that response. <laughs> he is. So he's trying to recruit Paul Rudd to uh, slash Scott. 
slash Ant-Man to um, to help him with this because an evil bold man and bold is now another villain trope to add to our list. Um, so murdering sheep. That's awesome. and yes, Darren Cross. Uh, he is like his Doctor Pym's protege, but he's developing the technology without Doctor Pym's consent, and he kills little lambs. He's a monster. He's very good at being a monster, but he's also one of those people who, I think, they imply that the technology he's working with is altering his brain, and I think that he's like a scientist who thinks he's doing a good thing, but obviously is slowly being driven mad by his technology. That he's he does doing. come across quite deranged, doesn't he? Oh yeah, like when he's in the bathroom with that guy yeah yeah like yeah just sort of kills him the guy didn't even do anything wrong he was sort of he just asked a question i think you know, I know. they had to show up his evilness even... i think that's probably one of the worst death scenes in a film ever like what a horrible way to go it's just, just a little splodge a little smear and you're flushed down the toilet it's so dark Ugh. um but also i like that so dr pym's daughter is hope yes and she is um working for darren but she stopped working for him when she realized what was happening and is now like undercover for her father. Yeah. Scott breaks into this safe, uh, Dr. Pym's safe, and finds the Ant-Man suit, which he discovers shrinks him when he presses a little button on it on the on his on his glove. And that's and- like a fun sequence of all the different ways that being small can be terrifying. Like the rat, you've got him being washed down the plug hole. Yeah. Oh, it's just so good, like the Hoover, everything about the that Hoover, scene. yeah, yeah. All the all the all the things you'd be immediately scared of if you're suddenly like a centimeter high yeah or less than a centimeter actually ant sized ant sized yeah yeah and pym enlists him uh to help to infiltrate the company as ant-man and steal the yellow jacket which is the technology that darren cross is developing and all the data as well so it's a heist heist movie it's a heist movie and i liked that there was this scene where um scott said to him well why not just call the avengers and because yeah. that is a good question, actually, because by this point in the universe, everyone knows who the Avengers are. Everyone knows there are superheroes. So what they then Dr. Pym says to him, well, well, I'm not going to, because if this gets into the hands of Tony Stark, it becomes a weapon. And I was like, yes, you established that in Age of Ultron very well. Well done for doing <laughs> your films in this order, guys. <laughs> I mean, in the comics, actually, Hank Pym is is responsible for Ultron. Ah, OK. So I wonder if they're borrowing bits of that. But yeah, I mean, to be fair, the Avengers haven't really shown themselves to be that reliable. They've been dropping cities and all sorts. So I can see why he says no. No, exactly. And uh, yeah. Oh, and another thing on Dr. Pym is I liked the 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 scene at the very beginning where they did a very good job at de-aging Michael Douglas. I know. And aging up Hayley Atwell. I was like, there's so much weird technology happening in one room i know i was like i cannot compute this this is crazy and uh but like the michael douglas thing i thought that was really impressive because he genuinely looked like he does in um uh in uh, fatal attraction and yeah. back in that era and uh, uh the wall street film and that sort of thing he suddenly i was like whoa <laughs> yeah michael douglas was like when i saw that i realized i could do a romancing the stone prequel and i was into it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i was like absolutely yeah go do it. I actually I saw that scene I was like Michael Douglas is looking great for his age isn't he and then when he came in again I went oh no wait (laughs) they did something there (laughs) (laughs) he wanted his wife to be played by his actual wife Catherine Zeta-Jones oh okay obviously they they, they don't show her face because they haven't cast her she's just in the suit yeah yeah Yeah. um they have a fun training montage sequence that is fun because you do I love a montage anyway who doesn't it just skips through the plot really nice and fast and it, you can make it fun and fresh and it's like in um in team america where they have the montage song yeah it is and also i didn't really know how much time they had between training like, i didn't know how much time they had to train they didn't really make it clear i was like is this a week is this a day like what's happening? i know because it's like what is the urgency here like what what is they basically just want the technology off but darren cross hasn't said i'm going to use the technology on this date at this time to do this thing he hasn't done anything like that they're well, just like hasn't... we need to get this out of our it's not working yet his technology is it he's not quite got there oh yeah so they have until he's developed it but i'm like you should probably be working towards a time frame like a week but I guess, I guess that's the the emergency is that they don't know when it's going to get, um, when it's going to work. It's like the pie machine in Chicken Run. Oh my God, it is like the pie machine in Chicken Run. Yeah, because <laughs> like, it keeps elements. going wrong and they keep like freezing when they're making the flying machine and then it breaks again. They go, okay, carry on. <laughs> and yeah, like we discover more about Hope's mother who, so she had the, she was the wasp. Yes. Uh, along with 
Dr. Pym, who was the original Ant-Man. But in order to save the day in a previous adventure, she had to make herself shrink. She had to turn off the regulator and the regulator stops you from shrinking too far, basically. Yeah. And it sends her into, and I had to write this down, the quantum realm. The quantum realm, yes, because she goes. Ooh. <laughs> so the, the Twilight Zone theme tune comes in here. And she, so does this mean that she's just permanently shrinking? Yes. They say that's horrendous. Oh, yeah, it is. It is horrendous. Like, I totally get Michael Douglas's trauma and how horrified that his daughter is. Like, at first, I was like, why does he just tell her? Like, why does he just confide in his daughter? When he explains it, I'm like, that's fucked up. Yeah, he's like, your mother is permanently shrinking. She's trapped forever, knowing she's shrinking. She won't remember anything about the real world, just snippets. Yeah, she just, she'll just go mad and like starve to death, I guess. No, because it's time is lost. So you're just doing that for eternity. How, yeah. Why is time lost? Why don't you just like, you just keep getting smaller and smaller? Because it, it's, I don't know, he explains that it's a different realm of time and space and like, it's like a subatomic. Yeah. So, this is where my my um, GCC in physics fails me. <laughs> oh yes, mine too. And also, I don't think it really relates to real science, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, it's just you fall into this whole level, like a, a crack through time, maybe. Mm. Like yeah, because you go so small, you fall through this through the spaces. Uh, a wrinkle in time, one yes. might say. Do mm. that. That's better. <laughs> <laughs> That's catchy. We should use that. No, no one will ever know where that came from. <laughs> Uh, there's a scene where Scott is sort of practicing with his suit and he infil tries to infiltrate an Avengers warehouse and meets Falcon and they have a little fight and that's cute. I love that fight. And then um, Falcon obviously has his like great eye technology to be able to spot where mm. I I love when he's like, he can't see me. He's like, I can see. Yeah. <laughs> I can see you right there. <laughs> it's interesting. There isn't, there's just one villain in it. There isn't like a secondary villain or a sidekick or anything like that. It's kind of just Darren Cross. And he can't he can't really fight Darren Cross till the end because he has to keep the whole Ant-Man suit a secret in order for the heist. So, but he needs to demonstrate his, the suit. So then they, that's, I guess that's why they bring in Falcon, but also because, you know, it connects him to the Avengers eventually as well, doesn't it? Yeah. And there are like, I guess other villains in the sense that like the Hydra gang will rock up to get there. Um, but I quite like that it's more, because it's more about this movie isn't really about villains so much as it is shades of grey and because it, it does for a few people you think they're going to be villains like we said the stepdad seems like he's going to be like a bad guy but he's a nice he's a nice guy really he's got and, a lot of responsibility to his family and really behind it all is a kind of scientist slash businessman who's just got a bit deranged basically yeah. and he's kind of getting away with it and yeah. they're not they don't it's not an Ultron thing where they have to sort of power up and get crystals or some crap like that they literally just have to sort of infiltrate a building and steal something to stop him from doing it it's very it's very like you know get what you've got around you and do what you can but but they do they do the heist um and that's really fun and they also it at one point it turns out to be a trap but Scott gets out of the trap um, yeah. which it happens quite quickly and I also like that it shows that this villain is not like super powerful he's just like a deranged bloke like I said isn't yeah. it? yeah um, and I, I think that is nicer because you didn't want him to be trapped it would it does make you feel better when he gets trapped and they're like oh god they're gonna shrink him into a little tiny blob of jam um yeah. not the jam not the jam that is actually what they used to make those blobs oh was it how it's delicious jam. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'd be like mm, I love it <laughs> Um, yeah, I like that he gets that quickly because it also shows that he's been taking on his training and he's very smart. Like he's not like a stupid hero. You know, sometimes you get these like, I'm just strong. That's all I know. But he's almost like Iron Man, level, not quite Iron Man Hulk mm. level, but he's very smart guy, very astute. So he can sort of figure things out. He has that intelligence. The, the bit where he breaks into Dr. Pym's safe, it was like super sort of, and I'm going to grab this and I need this from the kitchen, this and this, and I can make it all together and I can open up a safe. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know much about burglaries either, being as I do don't, do that, don't do that anymore. But back when I did. <laughs> back in your misguided youth. Yes. No, I think it's all about like, because he's a sort of very clever burglar. You've got him in comparison to his friend who stole a smoothie maker and went to prison. Yeah. This it all so Darren Cross gets into the yellow jacket eventually. So they're like fighting each other first in in 
that they gets into the suit in the helicopter then they're fighting inside the suitcase which we said was really cool and then it kind of ends up with them fighting in scott's daughter's bedroom on the thomas the tank engine train which i loved i thought that was hilarious you um, do feel a sense of dread when he's in the child's bedroom though don't you because she's yeah. so, he's terrifying and he's like clearly he's all his work life's work has just been destroyed loves and the mind. daughter has been set up as being so likable you're like not her she likes the ugly rabbit she does and she's holding it on the bed when she's so cute it's like a chucky doll that thing it is yeah it's really <laughs> it is really horrendous that rabbit but if she likes it it's cute yeah um but scott eventually defeats darren cross by so he has to do what um hope's mother did by turning off the regulator shrinking himself to get inside the suit sabotage it and then that kind of kills darren cross. does he shrink as well or does he just get like he implodes like look like kind of like the building yeah. did it was oh very yeah they did that to the they did that to cross his headquarters as well. So everything's destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. He, so yeah, um, Scott ends up in the quantum realm shrinking and stuff, but he has a little kind of like weapony thing that can, you throw it and it can either shrink or enlarge things like they did with the Thomas the Tank Engine train when it comes bursting out of the roof. <laughs> and um, yeah. And the giant ant. And the giant ant. Yeah. Um, so he has that, which means he can get out of the quantum realm and come back. Hmm. And it does, I love the fact that it ends with just a giant Thomas the Tank Engine and an ant scuttling around. It was very good. And it was just like, oh, outside because they have no idea what's going on in there. Yeah. <laughs> I've been called to a disturbance and I have no idea what's going on inside. And it's nice because the two dads come together to save Cathy. Hmm. They do. They help each other out and they, they give a little manly nod to each other, like a knowing nod. Yeah, and I oh I love that bit earlier in the film where Cassie was like, "Are you trying to catch my daddy?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure. I help you get him." Yes, <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I help you die." <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. There's a mid-credit scene where Doctor Pym finally gives the wasp suits to his daughter. He's like, "I can, I can trust you now." <laughs> yeah, well, they've got to finish working on it because it's a, a really extreme prototype that they're working mm-hmm. on. I do know the next Ant Man film is called Ant Man and the Wasp, so I was like, "Ah, foreshadowing." I like that. Um, you missed that Hope and Scott kissed. I kind of love how they um they didn't make it a big deal though because they were just behind the door and you just get a glimpse of it and that's it. Because it's more about their chemistry throughout the film. Mm, definitely. They do yeah. a very classic, um, well, they do a very Bridgerton. They're like, I hate you at first sight and now I love you. <laughs> that's yeah, that's, that's a, um, uh, a story trope as old as time. That it is, truly that goes all the way, is. All the way back to Much Ado About Nothing and like 16 <laughs> whatever that was performed in. Yeah. It's my favourite. Nothing quite like enemies to lovers. I know. I think it's done best in The Mummy between Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz. I love The Mummy. That's one of my favourite films. (laughs) One of the greatest films of all time, that is. And I think that their chemistry is like, it's it's not just crackling, it's basically thundering. I know, you feel it through the screen. And when she comes out in her like sexy desert gear and he's like, and you're like, oh, they're going to kiss at some point, but when? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes yes it's oh they're, they're both just brilliant in that I think yeah mm. so yeah I loved Ant-Man it's now my number three. <gasps> oh, amazing I love it too and I just feel he's such a warm character and I think having a family really does ground him in a way that I think they were going for with Hawkeye but I was like it separates him from the other Avengers as well because yeah. they don't they, they, although they have love interest they don't have like children or an ex-wife or anything like that so I think that that's like his um, originality. Apart from, um, yeah, like you say, apart from Hawkeye, but Hawkeye doesn't have his own film, so. And Hawkeye's just a bit bland. Like, I think that is his personality. It's like, I shoot things very well and I have a family, whereas Scotland's got a lot of different facets, plus this extra thing that grounds him. And he's got he's been friends. to prison. He's got friends who aren't Avengers as well, which is nice. Like, he's got like a whole world outside of his superherodom. Plus, like, the uh, Paul Rudd is older than all the other all of the other actors in there even though he looks the same age as them (laughs) you wouldn't know it at all he he just he just sort of slightly grizzles as he gets older and I don't think that's a bad thing and I quite like that all the characters all the actors even have had input into their their dialogue and the script and did they their characters like Paul Rudd I think helped write it but you can kind of tell because I feel like it feels like a very Paul Rudd character he's like meant to be an everyman I'm like but have you seen him because he's not he's not I wish he was but he's not an everyman with with a personal trainer (laughs) and a diet plan but not even just from the shoulders up I mean 
He's got like a little perfect little face. Very expensive moisturizer and a magic painting of himself. Somewhere in that house. We do. So my top three are now the first Avengers film. What was my second one? Oh, um, Captain America, Winter Soldier and Ant-Man. <gasps> Iron Man has been boosted. You it's... were always like, Iron Man will forever be my favorite. And I was like, oh, he'll change his I mind. don't think I said those exact words. You did. Certainly not in that voice. Thank you very much. In that voice, rewind, listen back, you'll hear it. <laughs> It'll be your normal voice, then you'll it's... say that. Iron Man 2 has moved down into sort of the upper quartile of the of the films. <laughs> It is a controversial one of the Iron Man's for you to love the most. Do you think? I think it was okay. I thought it was the strongest. Because Iron Man 1 is a bit basic. Iron Man 2 is pretty good. And then Iron Man 3 was okay. I had problems with it. I know you did. I remember because a lot of people really love Iron Man 3. That's why I was kind of like, oh, intriguing. Mm. I think you would like that the female character, Hope, feels like very much like an equal. Or even more, like we said, like she's more capable. But I love that she's allowed to be emotional and she's allowed to be. And I like that the only reason she's held back is very much because of the trauma her father went, like it's her father who's sort of not really lying to her, but holding back information. And mm. it's not like he's letting her then get involved at the end. It's more like, it's more like his problem where he's like, I've got to deal with this so that she can do what she's yeah. meant to be able to do. Uh, it's yeah, a bit different, it. isn't it? It's not like, she's not earning his respect. She's actually like helping him heal. Yeah, which is nice because normally it's more like, oh, why aren't you a superhero? Sexism, standard. <laughs> yeah. um, and what's interesting is at the end of the movie, when she says about time, mm. she, because she her movie comes up before Captain Marvel, she's the first female superhero to get her own, her name in a Marvel movie title. Ah, oh, that's cool. Yeah, so I think that's what it's referring to there, among other things, which I will ask you about in our quiz. But I just like how normal it feels. Like everyone yeah. feels like a normal person rather than, I don't know, in most superhero movies, they feel very, very serious grand. And grand. Like, yeah. like um, Shakespearean heroes. Yeah, and then like, obviously it works for some of them, like Hemsworth's character definitely works for that because he's an actual god. Um, it's but nice to is- have when you come in on the ground level with. Yeah, and that's what I think it's where um, Captain America can become difficult to to access. Yeah. Um, but then they they've o- over time they've played around with that and acknowledged this within the other characters as well. So. Yeah, I think they've got a really good balance now of different Avengers who are going to appeal to different types of viewer, and I, I like that. Paul Rudd's character is very much like a fan as well because he goes into the Avengers compound like, "Oh my god, I love your work." Call the Avengers. So he's well. I like that they've constructed this universe where it's not there is. They no longer have to have a scene where someone goes, "Who's the Avengers?" Because everyone knows that it's established. Everyone knows who the Avengers are. Everyone's seen all this on the news yeah. since the first Avengers film because they keep referring to the New York incident, um, even though there's yeah. been other incidents since then. <laughs> and that's quite interesting. I think there's um because obviously I don't think Scott would have known about all of that because he's been in prison so he wouldn't be as up to date with like the fact that the Avengers are doing bad shit because he le- there's a paper at the beginning that's saying who's to blame for oh god I can't remember the town the little city that falls out of the sky and gets exploded Sokovia yeah who's to blame for Sokovia and he he's obviously come out just after that's happened and people were addressing like what who's to blame so it's like does he really know all of that and he kind of gets it explained to him yeah yeah. So he's still in the hero worship phase. It's like the the parallel for me is uh, in the newer Doctor Who series where it, we're in sort of the David Tennant era. They always acknowledge the fact that the Earth has been invaded by this alien, then this alien, then this, and Daleks about three times and stuff yeah. like that. And then they have that in um, uh, Catherine Tate's first episode where she's like, what a Cyberman. He goes, the Earth was invaded by Cyberman. She's like, oh, I was in Spain. He goes, they had <laughs> Cybermen in space. She goes, I was scuba diving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very like that, actually. It's, it's nice. It's a bit more refreshing. Because mm. in the old Doctor Who series, they never did that. Because the Earth got invaded about 750,000 times in mm. the old series. But everyone's always like, aliens aren't real. Don't be ridiculous. And it's like, but you've, you've literally had aliens in people's houses. You had shop dummies break out of windows and shoot people. Like you had all this stuff and you you never seen it in the news, never? No, 
they just they just don't to be fair I could believe it now I see Facebook comments nowadays I'm like maybe people don't watch the news I don't know well they did they had uh, people being interviewed on news being like it's a con it's all fake I, I don't believe it and stuff and I, I at the time when I was a child watching it I was like don't be ridiculous no one would think that now I'm like yeah they totally would think that actually, yeah, wouldn't they're they? like I can't la 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 I don't want to hear about it it's fake coronavirus isn't real it's not there it's all just 5g la it's heated it I think if I was an actor, I'd want to be in Ant-Man because I felt like everyone was having a good time. Which is weird because um, it went through a bit of a a, a time because I think Edgar Wright was originally the director and he pulled out after quite a few years working on it mm. because of maybe a decade working on it or like the script or something um, because he wanted it to be a standalone movie and obviously Marvel were like, no, 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 it's not a standalone movie. Ant-Man will be in all of the Marvel films. And... I think it became a bit of a disagreement. He pulled out and another director, Peyton Reed, came in. Mm -hmm. Um, And the cast were all a bit like, oh, no, does this mean that I won't have my role anymore? I've been cast in this amazing role. Like the guy who played the the Russian character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was really worried about losing the role because his wife had just had a baby, was about to have a baby, and they only had $400 in the bank. And this was a big deal for them. Mm. Um, So I know that it went through lots of rocky patches, but then when it did can't when it, it all came together really well it was basically yeah. really written and like mostly already directed and that's really interesting I like when you hear about like a film having a really difficult uh production but mm. then it, the final product is like is actually quite a big hit um, yeah Gone with the Wind absolute perfect example of that it was chaos yeah. apparently making Gone with the Wind and then it, it's now the highest grossing film of all time that's really funny mm. I love that it's called Gone with the Wind it does sound like it should be chaos based on the title to be fair it is a chaotic film yeah, <laughs> it's, a lot of shit happens in four hours <laughs> it really does yeah I know Edgar Wright has said like people were asking him because he did Baby Driver when he was promoting that they were like have you seen Ant-Man and he was like no because I it would be like asking if you've watched your ex-girlfriend having sex with someone else like why would I do that I put so much of my heart and soul into that film his name yeah. is still on it because he did do so much work but mm. it you know it's, it's just interesting that it all came together so well because I love that movie I think it's such a good film yeah I yeah I have many many good things to say about it would you like to be quizzed about it yes I would I'd like to be quizzed and get all the questions wrong like I usually do me <laughs> Okay, Rotten Tomato score. 85. Oh my God, Paul, you're getting so good at this. It's 82. Ooh. ooh. Yeah, it's pretty good, right? Yeah, really good. That's that's nice and high. I Personally, I'd be like more like in the 90s if I had my way, but, you know, I'll settle well, for 82. You know what people are like. They're like, oh, I couldn't possibly like this. It's a bit weird, I guess, for people who don't like the weirder side of things. Mm. Could you guess the, the budget? The budget. Uh, sorry, how much it made? The, it's the, worldwide the Um, seven hundred million. And you went a bit too high, but not much higher. Five hundred nineteen point three. Okay. It was a number one opening film. It did very. It opened very high. Like lots of people went to see it, and I think also it. It feels like younger kids can enjoy it, so it opened the audience up to you know to a bigger audience. Yeah, like, it's really accessible. Crazy. Really accessible yeah. for younger kids, isn't it? Yeah. So he, he's a fun superhero for kids. To, I think he's, Paul Rudd's quite a nice family movie character in that sense. Like kids can really like watch him and enjoy mm. the whole, and there's lots of different merchandise. I haven't really looked into it, but I'm assuming there must be and some great I, merch. Having a child in peril, like the kids can identify with that child. And there's Thomas the Tank Engine in it. And that's hilarious too. Who doesn't love that? Did it remind you of Jurassic Park at any point? Because I got Jurassic Park vibes when they were doing the little, the little lamb standing there like, and I was like, oh, it's like when the T-Rex comes. Or when um, they they put the cow into the velociraptors. Yeah. 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 And it was a, the same vibe. Like, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Like, the, that's the whole mm-hmm. vibe of Jurassic Park, isn't it? So, do you know why they chose for the falcon to get involved? Um, I don't know, actually. I mean, I, I thought it was quite good because I felt like he's been a bit underwritten he was a bit underwritten in Age of Ultron, so I felt like they they sort of thought, okay, well, we didn't manage to get your character in, so we'll put you a bit more into the other ones. Yeah, well, apparently Paul Rudd went to see the movie at Winter Soldier and just fell in love with the character. So he was like, please, maybe could I? He tried to be really casual about it. He was like, oh, could I? Could we maybe have him in Ant Man? And um, Kevin Feige was like, well, yeah, that makes perfect sense because he's living in the New Avengers compound after Ultron. So timeline wise, it works really well. 
Mm, mm. And it ties it all neatly together, doesn't it? So Yeah, yeah, true. So Paul Rudd's costumes had to be altered after they've been like after they've been made and fitted and everything. Can you guess why? Well, definitely not because of pregnancy. Um <laughs> did he beef up? He beefed up massively. Michael Douglas was like, yeah, so um he he massively he got so muscular they had to soften the costume because it originally had like, you know, where they like Batman where they sort of almost create the look of yeah. and stuff. So it was it was extremely too much and they had to change it. He was originally going to work at Chipotle, not Baskin Robbins. Can you guess why they had to change it? Could they not get the rights to the Chipotle brand? So Chipotle were like, they didn't like the idea that they wouldn't hire a guy with a... They, they said it made them look negative, so they said no. Oh, okay. Oh, that's, a, that's actually a good point, I mm. must say. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and then they were like, maybe Jamba Juice. And then they went for Baskin Robbins because they thought the colours were quite fun contrast to prison. I think it Baskin Robbins is good and I think that works better because it's um you know it's all like ice cream and fun colors and and stuff and it he looks a bit ridiculous in it doesn't he he does can you um so he he got into shape with a trainer and weights but he also worked with a gymnast can you guess why uh it was to help him with the moving around yeah because it's quite a physically active role, lots of rolls and flips, and he wanted it to look quite authentic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And also, uh, when was this film released? Like 2015 or something? So <laughs> at that point, Paul Rudd would have been 45 Yeah. at that point, um, which is actually considerably older than, say, Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth, who did have to beef up. So I guess he would have to do things a bit, not differently, but it would be harder for him. To reach, mm. pretty much impossible for him to reach their kind of body shape but he'd have to you know when when you as you get older you have to sort of exercise in a different way depending on your body's needs don't you so I guess it's different for him the ants were designed to be less horrible looking than they would in real life but each of the different types of ants were based they were inspired by something different what were they inspired by basically yeah, what were they inspired by? Like the bullet ants. I'll give you a clue. They were inspired by a person rather than a, another creature. Are they inspired by sports people? Ray Winston. <laughs> what? <laughs> they went for Ray Winston. I don't know why, but they wanted them to look quite heavy and their hairs were made to look like horns and stuff. They wanted it to be quite Ray Winston-y. Oh, how random. I know, yeah. And the crazy ants were influenced by a type of animal. Dogs. Yeah, it's puppies. They, they, they felt like dogs, yeah. Yeah, and then the other ants, I can't really make you do it, but they were Saharan silver ants, which have like really long legs and use them as arms and stuff to make it feel a bit more human, I guess. Right. So hmm. that was quite nice. Hmm. I thought the ants were really cute. I did love them. I did. As, as I said to you on WhatsApp, I, I would like, I now want a pet ant more than I wanted a pet owl when I read the Harry Potter books originally. <laughs> so would you want your pet ant big? Or would you want to be able to shrink and hang out with your aunt? Ooh, I think, um, no, I have a big one. I'll have one of those like dog ones. Yeah. Um, this isn't really a question, so I'm just going to tell you. So on the day they filmed the bit where they shrunk the lamb, mm. it became a little blob. Um, the caterer served lamb chops that day and they were all like, oh, we don't want to eat it. That's dark. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it wasn't that lamb, was it? Oh God, I hope not. No, surely not. Petra would have not been a fan of that. No, because like that that's the funny thing. I like lamb, um, but if I've met the lamb and stroked it, and then I would be like, I don't want you to cook this lamb. <laughs> <laughs> Are you so a cute. monster? Um, who do you think like they had another actor audition for Hope Hope's role, but she mm. she got quite far, but then turned it down. Who do you think it was? Mm, uh, just because it's been her in several other roles, Emily Blunt. No, I would love it if it was Emily Blunt again. Like, Emily, just take a role for God's sake. <laughs> no, it's Jessica Chastain, who has also turned down a role in the past. It was um, Maya in Iron Man 3. Ah, okay. Mm. Yeah, and apparently Emma Stone also read for the role and was like, pass. <laughs> I don't know. She probably would have felt a bit too young. Yeah, maybe. I think Evangeline Lilly's really good for it. Although she looks too much, she looks so much like Liv Tyler. I when I first saw her, I was like, "Ooh, like the one from Hulk." Oh no, wait, that's not her. <laughs> she does. I think they give her a very Pulp Fiction look as well because she's in very like sharp tailoring and that very severe. Yeah. yeah, she looks like Uma Thurman very much. So yeah. 
But that was quite interesting because they used almost her styling. They softened it throughout the film as she's softening up. So like her hair becomes more, less perfect. And her, she's swapping her suits for like t-shirts and like jeans and... Oh yeah, they are. That's and at the end, of... she's got her hair like rather than her fringe, like a very sharp fringe. She's got it all swept to one side, and I was like, "Oh, so she's softened." <laughs> I don't know why they <laughs> do it, but they did. Um, why did they choose Paul Rudd for the role? Because he's fun. Yeah, it's basically exactly what we said. Like they thought he had natural charisma, which makes him very likable, even though he's a criminal. Yeah. So we nailed that. Um, Paul Rudd is the second cast member from a popular TV show to become the main lead in a Marvel movie. Can you guess the TV show and the other actor? The other one. Um, okay, going through them. I know Chris Hemsworth was in Home and Away. Yes, but he is Australian and Paul Rudd is... Uh, Amer- American. <laughs> mm, yeah, because Paul, Paul Rudd was in Friends. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, I know all the other leads, but I'm not sure what TV shows they might have been in. So Paul Rudd's in Parks and Recreation. Oh, is he? Yeah, he plays um, Leslie's, not running mate, opposition in like a big political campaign. He plays mm. Bobby Newport mm. um, and he's in it for like quite a long time. He pops up quite a lot. And obviously Chris Pratt, also in Parks and Recreation. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Parks and Rec crew move over then, do they? They do. I bet the rest of the Parks and Rec are like, where is my Marvel movie? <laughs> when is this coming? Come on, Amy Poehler. <laughs> <laughs> Did you spot what Luis was um, whistling? when he was being a security guard. Oh, he was whistling something. What was he whistling? I remember thinking, oh yeah, that. Oh, I can't remember now. It's a small world. That was it. Yes, it was It's a small world. Yes. Yeah. Which is obviously good because it's owned by Disney and also it's a small world for the little ones. Yeah. Um, did you spot what songs started playing during the suitcase? Oh God, my mind's gone blank, but I recognise the band, but I didn't know the song. It's The Cure. The Cure, it's that's even- it, The Cure. I'm going to disintegrate you. And it's like playing Disintegration by The Cure. And the first song on that album is Plain Song. And the, the album actually came out in 1989, which is the same year as the movie's opening scene. Ah, connections. Yeah. Um, did you spot Stanley? Yeah, he was at the end in um, Louise's story. Yeah, the crazy, yeah. stupid, fine actress. Yeah, was- yeah. <laughs> Um, I quite like that he doesn't speak. He's just like, rah, 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 but then you hear Lewis's voice. Yeah. yeah, like the costumes. Apparently the um, the woman who plays the crazy, stupid, fine journalist, she was asked to like stuff her bra with tissue paper and do her own makeup just to make it more like how he envisaged it in his head. Yeah, because you get the impression that you're seeing his version of events, but it's not really what happens. Yeah. <laughs> it never happened like that. Um, there were a lot of stipulations during one scene mm. based on like rights, can you guess what scene it was? Stipulations. Mm. Um, no, I can't think. I, I, the only thing I can think of is the Baskin Robbins thing, but we've already talked about that. So I thought it might be something different. Thomas Tank Engine. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So they had to meet with the people who own Thomas and they were like, he can't be shown doing anything evil. He yeah. has to remain neutral and no one can be tied to the train track where he's driving. I mean, that's fair enough, because like if you can't ruin the image of Thomas the Tank Engine, like every, the UK audiences all grew up with Thomas the Tank Engine. Exactly. And he's not evil. He's he's just a toy going around on a train track. But I, I think they handled that very well. And obviously they said yes, because they thought it would be really funny, which it is like the minute it lands on the window. So you're like, oh, will he? And then he becomes massive and just bursts out. That is the best. It's the best scene. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um. They reference a superhero we haven't seen yet in Marvel. Did you spot it? Oh, no, I didn't spot it. Um, I'll tell you where it was, if that helps. So yeah. it's the crazy fine woman is talking about him. It's not Doctor Strange, is it? No, I'll repeat what she says, see if you guess it. So she said, I got a guy that can jump, a guy that can swing, and a guy that can climb on walls. A Spider-Man? It's Spider-Man, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yes, I did. Yeah, she did say something like that. I was thinking of Doctor Strange because actually he gets referenced in, I think it was the Winter Soldier. Mm. He got referenced. Like they said Stephen Strange. And I was like, Strange, that's one of the films. Yeah. To be fair, he's been referenced a few times now, hasn't he? Yeah. I think so. I think maybe in in um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or something like that, the name has cropped up. 
yeah they're sort of veering into the weirder superhero territory now so i think they have to seed it a little bit earlier mm. um i've already told you about the strawberry jam being used for the blobs so mm-hmm. i won't ask you that question i was gonna be like what do you think they used <laughs> As we've talked about before, every Marvel Phase 2 movie and TV show has someone losing an arm. Was it Was it when Darren Cross dies, his arm goes first? Yes, it was exactly then. Yes, I, that's the first time I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> You're not always watching, like, where's the arm? <laughs> I am now, yeah, because I keep forgetting about it until you ask the question. I go, yeah, that, does, that is meant to happen, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, as I mentioned before, like she says, it's about time. At the in that mid credit scene, hopeless, mm-hmm. which refers to the fact that she's the first female superhero, but it also refers to something else, in my opinion. Something to do with time travel? No, I guess kind of like um, Ant Man and the Wasp were the founding members of the Avengers. Oh, really? Ah. Yeah, they're like the original characters, so it is about time that they pop up because they're like quite beloved. They're quite beloved people, and they're in most of the Avengers comics, but they obviously weren't. It probably didn't feel translatable to the screen for a long time. Mm, I think yeah. they needed, yeah, I guess in in book form that would kind of work. Mm. But in film form, you need like super strength and super impressive things. And yeah. it doesn't necessarily offer that. I think people nowadays are a bit like a man who's an ant, a bit like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think in the comics, he has quite a different look as well. Okay. Um, and then my final question, originally, Ant-Man is originally Hank Pym. Why do you think they chose to go with Scott Lang rather than Hank? Um, did, they want, did they want um, the superhero to not be like an actual doctor? They wanted this sort of the narrative of the of prison and the ex-wife and stuff like that. So they like the comics with Hank Pym, he's not that family friendly sometimes. There's like a domestic abuse storyline and... Mm. a few other bits and bobs so I think they wanted to sidestep all of that and create someone a bit different but I also think it's nice to have someone who's not super genius because we've had that before where they create the technology and come up with it all it's nice that it's already established yeah yeah I think it skipped through a lot of stuff that um Marvel films have kind of covered before it's like the technology exists uh we've already got someone trying to protect it and someone trying to take advantage of it um let's just get into it and then the whole like training montage was like yeah we know what's happening here let's just like fun it up a little bit yeah and I I really respect them for doing that because I, I get a bit bored of this origin stories all the time and I I like that hope storyline the way they so she's on Darren's side and then she sees the error of her ways and then sides with her father in secret I like that that happened before the film sort of started you don't see it happen because I think that would have been it's a good storyline, but if you act it all out, it would just slow everything down. And it would have a yet another scene where she's like, you're a monster, I loved you and stuff like that. You, you, yeah. I don't think you need all of that. You just tell us what's happened with her and get on with it. Yeah, and it makes her feel more, I feel like if they had that, it would have been more difficult to like her. Yeah. Cause you'd yeah. be like, well, you're an idiot, aren't you? Cause why were you doing this? You're, seeing, it- you're seeing her at the end of this curve. Yeah. That sort of saying like, I'm owning my mistakes and I want to do better and stuff. Yeah. I, I, uh, that's why I found her quite endearing. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Mm. Oh, wow. What would you give it out of five? Good, close to five, four, four and a half, five. I think yeah. I really, I got so in, I, I think I just enjoyed that. It was, you know, it was, like I said, it was fun. It was quirky and therefore a bit of a breath of fresh air. I mean, after, after 22 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season two, <laughs> I was like, finally, one that doesn't take itself too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have a different different vibe, isn't it? I think that's the good thing about Marvel. Like, each film sort of almost feels like a different genre. Yeah, yeah, it's got its own little voice. And I think that's why each film that comes along is sort of like, oh, I wonder what's coming this time or... Yeah. Well, our next episode is Jessica Jones. Am I right? It is Jessica Jones. Yes. Um, which I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing because I've heard, I've heard good things about this. Hmm. So, um, and I read that she's a private investigator and I'm kind of like, Ooh, that sounds interesting. I like private investigator stuff. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I don't like to say too much now because I feel like after last time I've been burned. So now I try and be very like, mm. I think if you listen back to last week, when I was like, Mm, I'm intrigued to see what you'll think. Mm, yes, <laughs> that's all I'm ever going to say. Mm, yeah. Well, and then are we moving into phase three after that? 
Um, not quite. Where's my list? Oh my I god, think... are you going to tell me there's another series of the Avengers Agents of Shield? <laughs> Let me see what's coming up. Hang on. I would cry. There might well be. I'd think you'd break me. Oh no, I do apologize. Sorry, Jessica Jones is the last one of Phase Two. I was going to say because I was like, what else could be left? <laughs> I do, but but Phase Three is like crazy long. Like there's so much stuff. Like that's when the TV series is just like explode and there's like a hundred different ones so there's a lot to pile through there <laughs> yeah. and you know what we should do at the end of phase two is reflect back on what we've what we've what we thought of them all let's do that at the end of our next episode yes perfect <laughs> you've been listening to an episode of the marvel version if you'd like to join in the conversation you can tweet us at the marvel version We hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll tune into the next fact-filled episode.